0: Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Actually, I am also Chris Paulette. I'm sorry, what? Uh, I'm just seeing if I can get away with it.
1: That's not true.
0: No, it's not true. I but can it, see right through that. It leads to our listener mail. This listener mail comes from Boris, or, if you wish, Bobcat. And I do wish. So this listener mail comes from Bobcat, who says, Hello, beloved techies. First of all, I have to say that I really appreciated the rant and other outbursts of skepticism in your ghost hunting technology episode. There's been a profound absence of critical thinking and evidence-based positions on various issues coming from the media lately. And your show has definitely made me feel as if there's hope for rationality and non-wackiness. So kudos. You've made at least one listener as happy as possible. If you are considering doing more podcasts with related undertones of skepticism, I suggest that you guys consider taking on things like radiometric dating technologies as well as lie detectors and the technology of spying. That is, how some believe that the government may be watching us and how they actually do. Also, during the Sci-Fi Movies podcast from before, you brought up Dollhouse in passing. Still can't believe it's over. Why cover movies for a podcast, not do TV shows? and then rub it in our faces by mentioning Dollhouse. I expect this gross malfeasance to be corrected as soon, or malfeasance, I guess I should say. Yeah. Yeah, My brain is not working. Should, should be corrected soon, and with one of those annoying listener mail announcements from Strickland. Thanks for maintaining your high standard of podcasting, yes, except for the fact that I mispronounced malfeasance. Um. Well, Boris, thanks a lot. Uh, we actually decided from this email to take one specific uh, a suggestion, which was the lie detector suggestion. I thought that was an excellent suggestion. We can talk about how they work and how they do not work because they do both at the same time, as it turns out.
1: I'm sorry. I was still thinking about Pi. Pi.
0: Yeah. I was still thinking of malfiescence. So, uh, and suburbia. Yeah. But, uh, that was,
1: what, 50 podcasts ago when I, you said suburbia? I know.
0: You know, once in a while I drop a bomb like that and then I beat myself up over it for the next like three months. Apparently. So, um, anyway, yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about polygraphs, lie detectors. Oh,
1: those, those highly, uh, calibrated machines that it takes, uh, you know, a trained forensic psychophysiologist, uh, weeks to learn. Yeah, how to use. yeah,
0: you could it could take you up to 14 whole weeks to learn how to operate one of these things. Wow. All right, before we get too far, let's 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 make some things very clear. First of all, lie detectors do in fact measure things. They're not just it's not just a box with some uh, little uh, pens that scribble on a paper randomly. It's not like it's it's um uh, you know, just a a, a fake tool. Um what they do is they measure physiological responses. Over a set period of time. The set period being whenever you turn the machine on and whenever you turn the machine off. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it does this through three main methods. It, it measures your respiratory rate. That would be uh, the respiratory right there. Is Chris breathing heavily into his I'm microphone? Breathing heavily into the microphone. It's just, uh, you I'm know, breathing lightly into the microphone. If any of you found that creepy, write tech stuff at <laughs> com. I know I will be. And then uh, it also measures your pulse rate. It has a pressure cuff on your arm. Oh my God. Hey, you know, I'm being okay, a percussionist. I, don't
1: even, I want to do the Foley work
0: as as uh, as the person who is sitting here in the studio with Chris at this time. I can't wait to see what he has to do about yeah, this one. I
1: got nothing for this the next one. Third,
0: the third thing it measures is galvanic response, which technically is um, sweating. And yeah, well, I got you know nothing what? For that. Yeah, Chris is always sweating buckets, so it's kind of hard to tell from one moment to the next if he's actually you know. Trying to display something, uh, if he's trying to to uh, illustrate a point, but um, that's just a Eat joke. Up Joes. He's, he's not really sweating. Uh, so they do this through various methods. There's like a there. There's one that'll be sensors that are placed on, around your chest to measure uh-huh. your your chest uh, expansion and contraction while you're breathing.
1: That'll be the respiratory rate part. That
0: would be the respiratory rate. There's a pressure cuff placed <laughs> along one arm that measures the pulse. That'll
1: be the uh, the blood pressure and right. heart rate.
0: And then there are electrodes attached to the fingers to measure the galvanic response, the the, the amount of sweat.
1: Yes. Okay. So They have a bucket underneath the (laughs) table, so you know if it gets out of hand.
0: Yeah, when Muggsy comes in, they're like, okay, we got a sweater. (laughs) Let's let's put a bucket under there. Uh, So these are always measuring these uh, changes in Mm -hmm. these rates. They have to establish a baseline first. And any change in any of those three... Uh, uh, factors will result in a needle on the the paper scribbling something, um, so that you'll see you can actually see where the the changes happen uh, along yeah. along the set time period.
1: Yeah, I think we've all seen a, a movie or TV show where the you know they've done that close up shot and little needle going.
0: Right the needle starts shaking back and forth really crazy in case any of you can't hear that. You know what we should just leave it to Liz to put in the little scratchy sounds cuz I bet that picks up a lot better than you scratching on your laptop.
1: I don't know. They can pick up footsteps outside the studio. That's true. We we it.
0: have heard bigfoot lurking outside our studio occasionally. Um anyway, I, but at any rate. Okay, so so yeah, these it's not just one line of data. It's actually uh several lines of data cuz you you get the you get one essentially for each um uh factor. So Mm -hmm. uh, there are three different needles measuring it. And ideally, you would be able to look at the three different lines and be able to tell when there was a major uh, uh, change in someone's physiological response. Well, there's there's sort of a hypothetical
1: basis on which you could say if somebody was lying, you would expect them to be more stressed out than if they were telling the truth because they're concerned with. Preventing the truth from coming out,
0: right? That's that's what the whole the whole basis the idea. Of, of polygraph is, is that's the foundation for the polygraph test. The foundation for the polygraph test is an assumption that if you lie about something, you will uh, your body will respond, will engage in the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. I, not to take something from our sister podcast, stuff you should know. That's their favorite phrase, or it used to be anyway. Uh, but the fight or flight response tends to pop into play whenever you are trying to, um, to conceal something. At least that's the theory. Mm-hmm. Now, if this were to hold true, if, Every single person in the world were to respond in a similar way whenever they were trying to be elusive or lie about something, then the lie detector test might actually work. If everyone responded the same way, right? But we're human beings. Turns out we all have different responses to the same uh, sort of sensory input. Some of us uh, get very anxious at times, including myself. There are to- there are certain situations where I get very very anxious, sure, and. Um, I'm certain that if I were ever brought in to be questioned about something, I would be very anxious about it. Not because necessarily that I did something. I'm not saying I did and I'm not saying I didn't. I'm just can't saying that – can prove anything. Yeah. But in either case, even if I were completely innocent of it, I know that people asking me these questions would make me nervous. And my body would react in such a way that uh, it would be very difficult to to say that a reading that you got from me would be – Would would indicate a lie versus truth just because I would be anxious no matter if I had done it or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Conversely, there are people out there who are consummate liars and either they are delusional and actually believe the things they're saying. They're sociopaths. They don't care what they're saying or they've trained themselves to not give away these physiological responses so that it's very difficult to tell whether or not they're telling the truth. Everything looks like the truth.
1: It's kind of fascinating to think that there are actually people that are, you know, that actually believe that what they are saying is true, even when it's, you know, a patent lie. You know? Yeah. Um, but you know, if, if, somebody is delusional about that and believes that what they are saying is true, then they're not going to register any kind of response like that. Because right. They, they believe it to be true. And
0: as time passes, it's, it's easier and easier to believe mm-hmm. a lie, uh, I mean uh, – uh, and and in some cases when I'm saying lie, it may just be an exaggeration. For example, if you think about something that happened to you in your childhood and you tell the story about it and uh, it can – it's one of those things that – I've mentioned this before. It can mm-hmm. build over time. Like you elaborate the story and you might exaggerate one fact over another or you might add in a little thing that that didn't necessarily happen but it makes the story better. Mm-hmm. And upon retellings and over the passage of time, you might actually come to believe that that is actually – Exactly how it happened. Mm-hmm. And then if you were to review, say, a film of it or a video of it, you might be shocked to see how different the real event was from the way it was in your mind. Mm-hmm. If you'd been given a polygraph test and you were asked to relay that information under the polygraph system, uh, it would show that you're telling the truth because mm. you're, you're saying what you believe. It's not, it's not a – there's no magic in the box that allows it to determine what is really true and what isn't. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the process of a polygraph examination and kind of explain, you know, how how these examiners build a uh, a routine so that they can try and and track lies.
1: Right now, um, actually, when I was uh, commenting earlier when we got started about the uh, forensic psychophysiologist, I was hoping to say it without tripping that time. Um, those the are the essence. people who who like to. Uh, Or who are, who like to be known that way, that is their professional, uh, title, I guess, but they are the people who give the polygraph tests. Right. And really, a professional forensic psychophysiologist, hey, if I don't look at the words, make them out easier. Um, they are, they are generally going through some kind of professional training, um, such as the, uh, Axitron International Academy. Um, it's, which is accredited by the American Polygraph Association and certified by the American Association of Police Polygraphists. Polygraphists. People who have polygraphs.
0: Polygraphists sound like people who have more than one graph.
1: That's true.
0: Um. I'm a mon- monographist myself. So if you, so if you were
1: going to, to become a, a forensic psychophysiologist, um. Uh, first you of would all, need, shame on you. Yeah. You would need to uh, to have a, a baccalaureate degree or at least five years of um, investigative experience and an associate's degree. Um, you would need to go through uh, a certified course, uh, which includes in, – uh, among the different categories you would need to study are psychology, physiology, ethics, history, um, ethics question construction, uh, speech analysis, chart analysis, text and uh, test data analysis – and uh, you would also have to, uh, you know, go through a, ser- a series of exams to, you know, on actual cases in which a lie detector test or I should say polygraph is being used um, and those are reviewed by professionals. So uh, this internship can, although the program is sort of short, the, the internship can take from eight months to a year, according to the article we have on the website about how lie detectors work.
0: Yeah, it's actually a very good article. I do recommend that you read it. Um, so that all being kind of beside the point really when you get down to, well, to what exa- exactly is going on with lie detectors. But, well, I just wanted um,
1: to point out that, that, that there is some – that the people who are actually doing this for, say, a police department or another law enforcement agency go through training on how to interpret what they think is coming out
0: of the machine. Right. The problem is that, again, yeah, the well, very foundation of what they do is faulty. It's a, built on a false premise. Ultimately, it's built on a false premise. Right. I just wanted to talk about how the process works. Okay. <laughs> yes, so let's uh, talk about the test itself. Okay. So during the test itself, w- what would happen is the examiner would you know strap you in. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's 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 say that uh, that I, Jonathan Strickland, am the subject of this uh, polygraph examination. Okay. The first thing that would happen is that uh, we, well. Usually you get a, a few questions at the beginning that are supposedly to form the baseline so that the questioner can see what your level of anxiety is just based upon normal questions. Nothing that necessarily has anything to do with what they brought you in for.
1: They want to see basically what's moving the needles when they tell it – say or ask you – versus what isn't moving the needle so they can get an idea of how you're going to behave
0: right if you're if you're already anxious then this would theoretically at least let them know okay this guy's kind of a nervous Nelly so yeah. uh, uh, anything that hits this level doesn't necessarily mean it's a lie because this dude's just quivering in his boots which is exactly yeah. how I would be I'm yeah. not going to lie uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> about that. Anyway, so they would ask me a series of questions, supposedly yeah. to create a baseline. Now, this is debatable whether or not this actually, you know, makes any real difference. Mm-hmm. Next, what they would probably do is ask a control question. Right. And this would be a, again, a simple question where it's just to, uh, to measure your, uh, your response. And then they would alternate that with a question that actually relates back to what they're looking into.
1: Right, and that would, that would be why they ask the, uh, the people who are training to work with polygraphs to uh, learn about question construction, because right. they want to learn how to phrase uh, different topics in ways to see if they can get a response from you.
0: Yeah, so you get uh, you get your design questions, or mm-hmm. what they're called, right. or, they, or the ones that have to do with your actual... What the, the purpose for the polygraph? Right. So let's say like the first question might be, uh, um, is your name Jonathan Strickland? And I would say yes. And then the next question might be. Yes. Um, no, I don't know. Right. <laughs> and then I'd pee myself. <laughs> uh, but the, ne- the next question might be, might be um, more pertinent to whatever the matter is. For instance, right. like, like uh, were you in the Buckhead neighborhood on Tuesday night? Mm-hmm. And then I would say either yes or no. And then, uh, if they suspect that I was there and I said no, they would look at the chart to see if the response on that question, uh, was measurably different from my response to the control questions. Because if, if I'm answering the control questions honestly, and they should be able to, to know that because the control question should be obvious, right? Mm-hmm. It should mm-hmm. be very obvious questions like, are there two people in the room with us? <laughs> and you'd say yes or no. Um, if you are lying to an obvious question, then they can tell pretty quickly if you're going to be able to, uh, to fool the polygraph. Um, which, by the way, is very possible. Mm-hmm. So they alternate these questions. They will ask a, a control question now and again just to make sure that, uh, to, that they're reading the, the results correctly. And then they will ask, uh, uh, one of the design questions to see if you are telling the truth or not. Uh, you can get through an entire polygraph lying your butt off the whole way through. And if you are able to control your responses or you're able to boost your responses to control questions to show that you are a nervous Nelly, either of those are going to make the results unreliable. They're not going to be able to say this guy for sure was lying or or was telling the truth. So for instance, if they asked me, is your name Jonathan Strickland? And I said, yes, but I was able to... Uh, to provoke myself into reacting in a, a more um, well, heightened way, mm-hmm. it would indicate that I had lied on that, even though I told the truth. Um, and this could all be very—I can manage to do this on my own. So, in other words, I could fabricate it as if it looks like it looks like it's a lie. And then the next question they ask me, "Were you in Buckhead on Tuesday night?" And I say, "No." Um, I could just relax a little bit and then it'll come up as not being a lie. And then they'll, they'll look at the results and say, well, according to this, I mean, we asked him this control question. He told the truth, but his response was off the charts. Then we asked him this question and he said, no, and his response was calm. Clearly he's just nervous. We can't, we can't rely on this as re- as information to establish whether or not he's guilty mm-hmm. or, you know, or if he's telling the truth or not. Um, So really when you get down to it, once you understand that, you realize the polygraph is not a reliable tool for telling truth versus lies. That doesn't mean that the polygraph isn't useful if you are uh, willing to use some psychological bullying to try and get a confession out of someone. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's incredibly useful if you want to try and get a confession out of someone. And as long as that person believes that the lie detector is doing its job and is working properly Mm – it's it can be incredibly effective at getting a confession. It's but it's almost like a confession under duress, if you think about it, because the person's being fooled into thinking this device is doing more than it really is. Well, how are you, how are you going to fool somebody into believing that it actually works? All right, I mean, what so could they do? Here's here's a good example. This is not necessarily how everyone does it, but mm-hmm. there are uh, police sta- uh, law enforcement officials who have done this, or, or examiners who have done this. Um, you do a very simple card trick, but you don't. Present it as a card trick. Mm-hmm. What you do is you you present the um, the the person who's being questioned. You present that person with uh, a deck of cards and say, pick a card, look at it, memorize it, put it back in the deck. You know, however you want to do it, and then you deal the cards out face up, and you just tell the person, uh, just say that it's not your card, whether it's your card or not. Say it's not your card, okay? Mm-hmm. So each card that comes up, you're saying, no, that's not it, no, that's not it, till you go through the whole deck. Then the person goes back to supposedly look at the results on the polygraph, comes back and then says, according to the polygraph, this is your card, and they hold up the card that you picked. And then you're convinced, oh my gosh, not only does this thing work, it can actually work to the point where it can it can tell the difference of one response out of 52 questions. Mm-hmm. Now, in reality, the examiner has just used a very, very basic card trick, and it's a it's. There are many different ways of doing a card force where you force someone to pick the card you want them to pick, or you don't force them. You just you manipulate the cards in such a way that you know what card they picked. Mm-hmm. The easiest way is just pay attention to what card is on the bottom of the deck, and then you cut the cards. You put You put the person's card they chose on the top of the cut. You cover that up. Well, the card that was on the bottom of the deck is going to come immediately before the card that person picked. Mm -hmm. So you just look for that. Like if it were the three of hearts, you look for the three of hearts, next card, that's going to be the one that the person picked. Uh I just, I just did a big reveal on magic tricks, but that's a very basic one. So (laughs) lots of YouTube videos out there that show how that's done. But anyway, you, in this case, the examiner is gaming the system. The examiner already knows what the card is. Yeah. does not need to look at the lie detector at all. In fact, the lie detector probably wouldn't even help at all in figuring out which card this was unless someone was just... That hyped up about, oh my god, this, that's my card. No, that's not it. I mean, unless that were to happen, the lie detector wouldn't help you. Right. But by establishing that the lie detector is so sensitive and accurate, you have now built into the person's mind that this thing is going to catch you if you lie. Right. And then you start the questioning. And since the person now believes that if he or she lies, it's going to be instantly recognizable, they might actually move ahead and just confess. So you've skipped the whole process of having to do a lie detector test in the first place. You've scared the person into confessing a crime. Now, of course, if the person's innocent, that's not going to help at all. You know, you're still going to have to go through the whole thing. True. Um, it's only if the person's guilty and willing to confess, if they if they don't realize that it was all a trick to try and gain their confidence. Now, that's just one method. There are other ways of doing the same sort of thing where you tell a person to lie and then you show them. Uh, the results on the lie detector, and say, "See, here's where I asked you to lie, and you see where your response is." And that could either be a legitimate <laughs> test that they're showing them, mm-hmm. or it could be a pre-generated test where you're just showing them some lines and saying, "See, see where I asked you to lie, and you see these squiggles here. Those may or may not be your squiggles." I'm just saying, well, not those everyone- aren't my squiggles. Right. Yeah. If you're like, no, obviously Jane was in here lying. She's a terrible liar. Uh, I'm much better. Uh, but Yeah. There. It's it's essentially deception is what it boils down to. Yeah. And that's not to say that every examiner be- feels that this is necessary or that every examiner even thinks that what they're doing has no merit. I'm sure most of them think that it is uh, it is a, a completely legitimate practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fact remains that it's. It's really uh it's just measuring your physiological response, which is different for everybody. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Though there are, there are some things that people try to do to avoid giving
0: themselves away. Oh, yeah. So just taking sedatives or uh, biting their tongue or sticking a tack in their shoe. There there's lots of other very simple ones. Just simple breathing exercises can help mm-hmm. you stay calm. And like I said again, if you if you take it so that you maybe you tense your muscles a bit when you are when you're truthfully answering a control question. If you tense your muscles, that and and you just increase your breathing rate a little bit, mm-hmm. that's going to be enough to boost your your pulse and to change the respiratory reading, to uh, to start fouling up the um, the results. It is not hard to learn how to fake how to how to fool a polygraph, yeah, or at least fooling is probably the wrong word. How to make the results uh, unreadable, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because if you make it so that it looks like you're lying to answers that are obviously the truth, they can't rely on the test as a whole.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why uh, it's so controversial even now after decades of it being in use and why so many jurisdictions won't allow – polygraphs to be submitted
0: yeah there's still some that will and some of them will only do it upon uh the order of a judge
1: mm-hmm. like
0: in some jurisdictions a judge can say can allow uh, has has discretion to allow or not allow lie detector results um i i think it's it's i think that using them in any case in a in that sense like as evidence is mm-hmm. terrible it's just a horrible idea because it's already been proven to be unreliable. You can beat it if you know how. And even if you don't know how but you are anxious, you can be falsely – you can give off false positives. Um, and here's another good example. I, I meant to m- mention this with the whole control question versus mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the real questions. right? So part of the problem is that you can never really establish a good control versus real question mm-hmm. because the control questions aren't going to have the same emotional impact. As right. the real questions. OK, so like a control question might be, do you live at such and such address? Well, there's no emotional attachment there. There's no right. f- sense of risk. There's nothing like that. And you, you could just say yes. But if they say, did you kill Mr. So-and-so, blah, blah, blah. Well, that that's definitely got an emotional attachment to it, whether you did it or not. Uh, you, just the accusation alone is enough to provoke the fight or flight response in most people maybe not even most, but in lots of people, most is probably too, too vague a word, but I would, I would think that a lot of people would respond very strongly to that question, whether they had done anything or not, because it's an emotionally charged question. Unless you were able to create control questions that were also emotionally charged, Mm -hmm. uh, you can't really say that's a baseline, you know, it's like, how was your day? I was good. Good. Did you Skin this person alive and then wear that as a dress—that two different questions, two different levels. Of, True. For some of us, we can casually answer yes to those, but others, you know, would have a bit of a a reaction to that. Sometimes you frighten me. I just wanted you to know that. Well, hell, you know what? Spring's right around the corner, and fashion time is coming up. <laughs> Great. At any rate, so. Polygraph tests, uh, I think you can safely say are, are great for measuring a physiological response, not great at, at ascertaining truth versus lies. So they're, it's a misnomer, really. Mm-hmm. It's more of, a, like Tyler was saying, our, our guest producer for the day, uh, it's more of a stress test than a, yeah. than a lie test. Um, do you have anything to add to that? No, not really. Other than uh, the fact that some, some pretty major cases kind of came down to lie detector evidence making a big difference.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's a little hard to imagine that, but... Um,
0: it's true. You know, but it's, I mean, true. In, in in several of the cases, it, just because someone passes a lie detector test doesn't mean they're innocent, and just because someone fails, it doesn't mean they're guilty. Right. Well, it also, if they fail it, they might be guilty. If they pass it, they might be innocent, mm-hmm. so... Even in cases where lie detector tests were, were entered into evidence, usually there was other evidence that really contributed to a person's sentence of, of uh, guilty. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that no one has ever been falsely imprisoned because of a lie detector test. I mm-hmm. haven't done the research on that. I would imagine that it's probably happened, which is unfortunate. But uh, it it probably doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> Still shouldn't happen at all, I know. But anyway – yeah, but I'm glad we tackled this
1: one because it's uh it's fascinating to think about it. and It's um the the thing that makes this so different from the ghost hunter tech episode is that you know it actually does more or less what it's supposed to, but it's just so unreliable that you can't count on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the, like so I said, the there is uh,
1: you know a, a legitimate reason for wanting to use it.
0: Right. It it does measure things. It's just like I said, the premise mm. that it's based upon itself is faulty. Yeah. And yeah. that's the problem is when you when you're when you have a faulty premise. Everything else that follows can't be relied upon. Yeah, and uh, again, talking about critical thinking, so that's another great um, example. And yeah, if you guys have other critical thinking kind of of uh, topics you would like us to tackle, let us know. Now we should also point out some people have been suggesting things that really don't fall into the tech field, uh, and this since this is tech stuff and not skeptic stuff we can't just tackle anything as much as i would love to do that but we do have a sister podcast called stuff from the science lab that uh just went live not that long ago and um i'm sure they'd love to talk about yeah. some of the uh scientific yeah i don't uh, know what their email address yes. is off the top of my head but no. as soon as this uh, by the time this goes live um i will i'll be sure to make a blog post that points people in the right direction because I think that that podcast would probably be the best place to tackle uh, skeptical matters that are non-technology oriented. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm still t- gonna take the tech ones. Perfect. I will fight them tooth and nail. But if it's not tech related and you still want to hear about it, that'd be a good choice. All so right. uh, but that brings us to our second round of listening. <laughs> This listener mail comes from Jason from Maryland, and he says, Hey, guys, I read this, and it reminded me of your podcast a bit ago about Easter eggs. I hope all is well. A crazy Easter egg popped up on airfare search site Kayak today. If you try searching for a one-way flight from Sydney to Los Angeles to take place on September twenty 2010, you'll get the fictitious flight featured on a mysterious TV show called Lost, which is true. You'll you'll get the oceanic Mm -hmm. airways flight. Um, I've never actually seen an episode of Lost, but I went ahead and tried this anyway and it did work. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. I, uh, then was mauled by a polar bear. (laughs) I have no idea what that's about. Yeah, I don't either. I haven't watched the show either. Yeah, we're lame. If you want to write and tell us how lame we are, (laughs) text stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Remember we got the blogs, we got the live show every Tuesday, 1 p.m., uh, I hope you guys are, are tuning into that. It's been a really fun experience so far. We've we've managed to 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 uh, alienate uh, Apple fans and, and Windows fans alike. All right. I hope we can continue. I, I think Linux is next. Yep. We'll just you know it all depends on what's in the news. We'll see. So tune into that. Read the blogs. Check out the website. Check out this article on how light detectors work. It's a like we said a very good article. Yeah. And we will talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks
0: homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. That's concur.com. From BBC Radio 4,
1: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
0: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. It's brand new season two.